Ephesians chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and, in the, and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in heaven. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your standard, to be fortified. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all of the saints. Father, I thank you for your wonderful word. I pray that just by reading it, our spirits get stirred. God, I pray that when we read it, we begin to shift, we begin to move. We realize that it's you speaking on the pages of what we call scripture. It's your word breathed into our life, Father. So I pray that we never take it for granted what you've left us with. And that your spirit infuses those words and makes it come alive. God, I pray that these are not just words on the page. Not just a legal document for us to read over, God. But I pray that this word develops and we experience all the things that you say in this word. All the promises that you have promised, your faithfulness, your goodness, your gentleness, your purity, your freedom, the hope. God, all of these things are so lacking in the world, God, and many times we find ourselves in the same position, lacking these things that we have already been given. God, I pray that you stir all of these things within us, God. Give us the backbone and the confidence, Father, to know that we are yours, to walk in your calling, to walk with your armor, with, with your armor, to know our purpose, to know our destiny, God. You are good, God, and we just invite your goodness to saturate our life. I just feel the Holy Spirit is setting people free right even now. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Some of you have been focused on physical attacks, and it's not physical, it's spiritual. Receive the revelation right now. You've read it before, but right now it's just dawning on you. The thing that you're battling, it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. Receive it in Jesus' name. God, I thank you. I thank you. God is just so good. You will never go wrong with chasing after him, and you don't have to fully understand to go all after him. You really don't. Um, God's like that. Verse 17 in Ephesians, we read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Just a small phrase. And take the helmet of salvation. And I want to talk about this helmet of salvation just for a few minutes this, this morning. Uh, it's interesting because we have been trained to think that because Jesus has died that the battle is over. And there is truth to that. Um, but Jesus has won the war, which is true, 
but there are still battles to be fought, which is also true. Um, but Jesus has empowered us and given us everything we need to be victorious. That is also true. And so we cannot be ignorant of the schemes of the devil, and we cannot be passive living in God's finished work. And sometimes we have been arrested by strongholds in our life. So whenever we hear a phrase, we revert to what we think we know what that means and dismiss whatever else follows that phrase. So some of our experiences, even with this tongues and interpretation, we have blocked everything else out that's going to happen. And so now we've restricted God in doing some work in our life because there's a stronghold, a stronghold from something that we've just maybe witnessed. Or for example, this one is a big one because the whole idea of salvation, as soon as they say the helmet of salvation, it's easy for us to dismiss salvation because we're like, well, we already saved. You're going to just affirm or reaffirm that we're saved. Um, and yet it talks about putting on this armor, a helmet of salvation. That means that if you're putting something on, you're able to take this thing off. So here's talking more than just the salvation that maybe we have just come to know and default to. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. But the helmet in the army days and even now, um, someone once said that, you know, maybe in the 80s and the 90s with football, they neglected the helmet thing. But helmets have been around for thousands of years. And um, a couple of um, purposes of the helmet was to identify officers and to protect their heads. It's kind of obvious. But just like with all armor and clothing and colors, there is an identification that comes with the kind of helmet that one is wearing. And also, it's, it's, it is served as to as protecting the head in, in battle. Um, and so, this is, a, so as, you, as you can think of it, this, this idea of, this, of salvation is for our identity and for our protection. For our identity and for our protection. The first one may be a little easier for us to grasp because we know that we identify in Christ. Right, we we identify with his death, his burial, his burial, and his resurrection. Um, and so, and in Ephesians, in, in earlier in chapter two, verse eight, we read on, we read this: "For by grace, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself; it is the gift of God." Not from work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, what is, uh, what is interesting is, is, is that there is, this is talking about like the, the I would want to say, the initial salvation, right? So I just want to distinguish kind of two, two salvations here. Um, Salvation by what salvation really is at the core of it is that salvation is God's power to deliver, to rescue, to transform. This means that, that when God saves you, you change. That means that God's power is a working power within you. Um, 
And so the, the initial salvation is something that we cannot work for. That means that we cannot put on and take off. This initial salvation, this eternal salvation is something that only Christ can do and has done. And all we can do is to receive it. And that is very, very important because from there, our identity begins to develop. That you have been purchased by your creator. That you are now becoming like your creator. That means that your mind is being transformed. And you're stepping in line with what your creator wants from you, which is purpose. So by grace, through faith, so we access grace by living in faith. We do not access grace by works, because if we did, then we, will do, then we would nullify this grace. And grace is all about God's work and none of our work. We have to be super, super clear. But faith is our response to God's grace. It is us stepping into what God has already provided. Faith is the unlocking of what God has, his treasure. And our work is expressing faith, not earning grace. It's easy for us to get passive because we don't want to work for our grace. You can't. But you can work from grace because that is a currency of which Grace is demonstrated, and the way that grace is on display. And we're, we're good at just believing, but do you believe enough to act? Does your belief lead you to action? Does your sh belief... Is your belief strong enough that it triggers work? And I know you're being bothered because you're like, grace, work, ah, it's this tension. Like, I, 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 I get that, and I think Paul understands that. This way he continues to emphasize, he says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. He flat out says, you don't understand. What I used to be and what I am now has nothing to do with me working towards this position. This position was given to me. But then we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I know I, I, I messed him up in the back because I re reorganized some of my scripture this morning. But we come back. So, but by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am, and by his and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, now this is interesting. He says, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. <laughs> my work our work your work has to be a response to his grace 
the more you act on God's behalf, the more you step into the thing that you believe, that is the manifestation, that is the realization, that is the, the grace on display. So the level of revelation that you have on grace, what God has done for you is going to be the trigger of what you're going to do for God. Paul is not bragging about his work. He's bragging about God's grace. He's saying, you see all that I do, but it's not, I'm not trying to earn this thing with God. I'm working from the fact that I realize what God has done for me. And to the level that I realize what God has done for me, I'm working more than all of you because I realize God's grace more than all of you. When you realize that something has been given to you and you don't deserve it, it humbles you. It puts you in this posture of not even knowing how to receive it. If you've wronged someone deeply, if you've cut them deeply and they have no reason to cover your sin, to forgive you, and they do without keeping a record of it and without having an expectation for you to pay them back. That's humbling because you can never repay. But what you can do is how you live life after the fact is going to be a demonstration of your realization of the grace that you have received. So grace should not and does not make us lazy. It actually makes us work more. It triggers us to go after God even more. It triggers us to be thankful even more. It triggers us to worship more. It triggers us to be generous more, to serve more. Sunday mornings should not be enough. Reading what you're supposed to read in your immersive 365 plan shouldn't be enough. But as soon as we diminish God's grace, our work and our response also diminishes. So grace does not make you less but more because you realize it's about accessing grace and not earning it. So you have the initial salvation. And the salvation is that when you realize you cannot save yourself, when you're convicted of your sin and the thing that you may have done where you come up to the front and you say a prayer or you give your life to Christ and you know that something has triggered, that is the initial aspect of salvation. That is something that we receive and that we don't put on and put back down. So I want to distinguish that this is like the initial salvation. Um, but then this other part, what is then Paul talking about this other part of salvation? If you look at the word, salvation is an ongoing work. It's an ongoing work. And if salvation is rescuing, it's an ongoing rescuing. Not just internal, eternal, he's done that. Your, your, your soul has been redeemed, your soul has been saved. That happens in the moment of belief. When you believe, God gives it to you and we receive it. 
But then, like I said a few weeks back, there is also not just your, um, your spirit, but there's also your soul and your body. There's, an, there's a salvation of your soul and your body. The, what, what I said uh, when we talked about this was that, that our spirit is the work of Jesus that we received when we surrender our life. But our soul is transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is what this is. This is saving our mind. The process of ongoing salvation. Redeeming, delivering, rescuing. Right? It is easy to say, God, take my life and God did it. And then what happens? Your mind says, huh, what, what the heck was that? Are you, are you kidding me? Look at what you're doing. You're not saved. And not only that, you have people around you saying, oh, you go to church, you hypocrite. Oh, you believe in God, look how you treat your spouse or your kids or look how you are at work. And then we get frad, we, we kind of like uh, get, get like fatigued in a way or just, just you know, chaotic and, 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 and Satan uses that to say, no, that didn't really happen. And we accept that lie and then begin to live a life that says, well, I tried Jesus, but he did not fix my marriage. No, my friend, Jesus is not going to fix your marriage. He's going to empower you to fix your marriage. He's going to empower you to run your business, to raise your children, to go on mission. He's going to empower you because he has given you everything you already need. And how dare we put it on God, say, God, you owe me. For what? It means you don't understand grace. And a lot of our questions, why God, why God? We don't understand grace. So, and I hate to split this terminology, but it is that initial saving that we've received. And there's this like additional saving that's an ongoing work. And that's based on our commitment to this God. It's based on our realization of God's grace towards us. It's one thing to be legally free. Meaning that it's true, it's on paper, it's documented. But it's another thing to live free. Many of us honor God's word because we, we believe that it's from God. But it has no impact on our life. So our minds are not being transformed. We don't understand this word. So we don't read this word even though we agree with whatever it says. And it's still true, but is it true for you? It is, is it true in your life? And God is wanting this word to jump off of the pages and into our life so that it can begin to transform us, begin to save our minds. Begins to deliver our minds. The habits that you're stuck in, that needs delivering, that needs saving, that needs transformation. And God wants to do that. He's provided a path, but he's not going to treat us like, like, like mechanical beings. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul writes again, he says in uh, verse 6, in Romans, and Romans is a book, oof. It's simple when you understand grace. But it's difficult when you live your life working towards grace. Like, see, right now I'm offering grace to that young gentleman in the camera. <laughs> he doesn't deserve it. 
We probably won't fire him either. <laughs> but, but read with me what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for, uh, for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Did you catch that? The salvation that took us from being an enemy to, with God to being his friend, which is, which is offered by his death. And now there's another salvation that is offered by his life. So Jesus saves us not just eternally but every day as well and this wrath he's saving us from this wrath uh, we can easily even talk about this as consequences right we know this word as consequences because when we think of wrath we think of oh I'm I'm cleared from this wrath yes and no yes and no if you've given your life to God, you are cleared from his eternal wrath. Remember I was talking about he is taking you from under his wrath and now you're clear from his wrath. But there's something else. Wrath is also looked as a consequence. So, for example, um, wrath is built into sin. So when you sin, you reap the consequences of that sin. There is always wrath in sin. And, and what God is saying is that I could even save you from the consequences of the sin. That means that you don't have to die. Um, it's denying Satan the power to unleash the consequences of your mistakes. Um, I think it's a powerful tool because this is how we get freed from living under God's wrath in the everyday life. He gives us the tool, his scripture, to renew our minds. When you and I begin to renew our minds, we will be transformed. And when we are transformed, we're not just transformed into who knows whatever, Joe down the street. We're transformed to be like in the image of God. We're transformed into his, into his likeness. That is salvation, my friends. That is how God is saving you and me on an everyday basis. He's allowing us to, to see what sin produces and choose another path. Choose his path over our own path. Elevate his voice above the voices that we hear around our, our culture. So salvation delivers us from hell in the future, but also it delivers us from present hell. And that is so good because it's not just something that God's going to do one day. It's that he wants to do things today. 
But he requires our engagement. He requires our time. He requires us to put on this helmet of salvation so that we are saved on a regular basis. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Verse 5 says this, and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And verse 6, or is that it? That's it. That's the thing. So these weapons, they're not flesh. And, and, th and this is, he has, he has given us, he has given us everything we really, we need to take these thoughts captive. Because those are the things that destroy us. Our perspective is how we do life. Right? So, if something is real to us, we submit to it. But just because something is real, it doesn't mean that it's true. And so whenever you begin to submit yourself to God's word and have his word begin to wash your mind, whatever is real doesn't necessarily mean that you have to embrace. Because when you're embracing God's truth, it will override your reality. No matter what you're facing, God's truth will allow you to walk on a higher level than what your current reality is. But if you don't put on this salvation, this helmet of salvation, then you just receive whatever's given to you. And then you're subject to the wrath of all your decisions. God's grace is the ability to eliminate your consequences. That means that you don't deserve those consequences to be taken off of you, but they are. Man. This salvation is a process. And this is the working out of the salvation that God is talking about, that Paul is writing about. And, and it's going to make us far more active for the things of God. We're going to begin to look at this world through a whole nother lens. We won't be limiting our time with God, but we'll be increasing our time with God. We'll begin to walk in a way that people will look at you and say, wow, I don't understand how you have faith for that. You'll go into situations, into, into environments where whatever the reality is, you're going to show up and everything's going to be overridden. Like, what just happened? The doctor, what just happened? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, we misdiagnosed. No, you didn't. I'm sorry, you don't have enough funds, but you paid for this. How did that happen? There's no way for your child to be saved, but yet he's all of a sudden in church. What? There's no way to transport 2,000 pounds of supplies without paying $6,000, but it happened. What? We call it in our trip, uh, that happens, or that's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing. No, it's not a thing. No, that's a thing. Uh, when you are 
pushed against the wall, you, you begin to realize that your options are limited. And when your options are limited, you have nowhere else to go but to God. And many times we find ourselves against the wall saying, why God, why God? And God's like, you just don't rely on me. You will now. You could have relied on me then, but you chose not to. And now you're up against the wall. And those are great when that happens. But what if you can renew your mind and, and have a mindset that God always goes before you? That there are no accidents with God. That there are no unplanned things with God. That he's not surprised by what's happening. He's not impressed with your ability. And he's also not disappointed with your lack. What if you know that going in? That's salvation. Delivered. Redeemed. Rescued. I don't want to end with this because it pushes us to begin to think differently about everything. I know we've read this passage a lot of times, but it's worth reminding because we get boggled down by what happens in our, in our brains a lot, in our mind. The, the thoughts that we go to when things happen. The worry that just comes out of nowhere. The depression that just overtakes us. Something happens, it triggers all of these things that we thought we dealt with and God's like, you never really dealt with it. Let something show up in your scan. Where is your faith? Let something happen in your bank account. Where is your faith? And it's because we, we think that God's going to just like, oh, mysteriously dump it. This is what I'm talking about. The Bible says that he has revealed this to us. This is not some fresh new revelation. No, it is already revealed to us. So what would it take for us to chase the things that God has already revealed? Ask yourself the question. What would it take you to go after everything that God has already revealed? It is so easy to go after the mysteries of God. Right? Oh, God has all these things. I don't know how it works. I really don't care. You should care because God has revealed it to you. Because when you know what's happening, you can walk confidently. And when you walk confidently, people see that. And then they will ask you. And you can be like, oh, yeah, God. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Are you crazy? But I know God. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to pray. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I trust God is faithful. I don't know how the city is going to be reached, but I'm going to start reaching them. I don't know how God's going to save my friend, but I'm going to invite them. I want to talk to them. I'm going to build a relationship with them. I don't know how I'm going to get out of my financial debt, but I'm going to be generous. And a lot of the mess that you guys are in, that I'm in, that we find ourselves in, is because we are not chasing after the revealed things of God. They're plainly visible. So we're distracted. By the slap at the Oscars, by the trial of Johnny Depp, by the next show on Netflix. I know you're laughing because it's true. <laughs> or you're distracted by spiritual things, the mysteries of God. 
you're, you're keeping tabs on how many times you've read the Bible this week and how many times you've prayed and you're distracted by your work. Your family may have become your idol. There's so many different things. And God's like just bringing us and pulling us back to see him. And so Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, I want to wrap up with this. I'm going to have the band come up. And this is so simple. I think that it's not going to take much for us to even do this one thing. And that is shifting our focus. You can do this by eliminating a lot of the trash that we allow in our life. He's writing, Paul's writing, finally, brothers, brethren, finally, brothers and sisters, focus on these things. Whatever is true, meaning it's not concealed. Whatever is noble, meaning it's honest. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, meaning it's holy. Whatever is pure, means whatever is clean. Whatever is lovely means it's acceptable, it's receivable. Whatever is commendable, meaning of good report, things that are spoken well of. If there's any moral excellence and is, if there's anything worth, um, as there's anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. Like, this is not an exclusive list of, okay, let me check this thing, these things off and, 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 and that's it. He says, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What is true? It's easy to dwell on. What is noble, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good report, what's virtuous, whatever is praiseworthy, meditate on these things. You can't meditate on these things if you're cons consistently and continually receiving the opposite of these things. The filth that you have grown so numb to, the sin that you have accepted as part of your character and normal normalcy. The cunning ways that people deceive other people. The distrust, the backtalking, the cruelness, the language, the explicit materials, the lying. Backstabbing, all these things we don't realize, but we have received and have dwelled on those things. And so we, re we respond from that place. We need to begin to replace all of that with the simplicity of what we just read. And verse 9 says this, 
the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. This salvation is our attitude, our response. It's not just internal, it's not just internal, and it's not just eternal. Please understand that. You're frustrated and flustered because you have given God your future, but you've kept your present. I said, God, take my tomorrow, but let, let me live my today. Receive and heard and seen in me practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 